Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. It's little Darius Rucker on the weekend. No trees? No, this is. The Dan Jacobs Show. Beautiful Saturday out there. It was it was amazing on, uh, I guess it was Thursday, which was my anniversary. We'll get into that. But so my office, the, the palatial 303 Law 4040 offices are just one street over from the fan offices. And it's been a long day. It's one of those days, I think I got up like 450, 4.40 or something like that. Took the dog, all that stuff. And had meetings, had court that morning, all that stuff. So it had been already a couple really long client meetings. And I was kind of looking to get out of here. And that was when, if you're listening to The Drive, Zach Bai was filling in on The Drive with uh, DMAC. And the, st- the skies here in the tech center were dark. But if I looked east on Arapahoe Road, I'm like, oh, well, out east, you know, because I live out southeast on the Aurora, Kansas border. I'm like, oh, well, I can make it. If I can just jump on I-25 and then I get to 470, I'm golden. And I jump in the car and then I, of course, have the fan on. And Zach and Derek are, you know, sounding the alarms of Armageddon. There, and they're like, it is nasty here. You can't see the building next door. And I'm like, well... But I just got to try and make it because if I can just, you know, if it takes me five, five, you know, five minutes or less to get to 470, I'm out of here. But that was not to be, my friends, because as they then were telling me, yeah, it's a uh, it's gridlock on I-25. And I got stuck in probably the word. I got out of it, thankfully, within the next, I don't know, 10 minutes. But it was dicey on that day. It was definitely not as nice as it was today. I, it was scary. There was like zero visibility there at, at different spots. But I narrowly escaped. That was the day of the tornado, and the although I never saw the baseball size hail, uh, but that was the scary day. But I did do something that day, so that was my twenty second wedding anniversary. Was that Thursday? Um, right, twenty second. Yep, twenty second anniversary, and it was you know it's June twenty second. So my wife and I, because you know Dante, we've talked about now. This is not downtown per se, that, but this is Denver. My wife and I thought, well, let's do something different. You know, we have our favorite spots kind of, you know, in our comfort zone. Or if we want to get real crazy with it, we'll go to Cheesecake Factory. That's one of our favorite places. You never get a, you never have never once had a bad meal at the Cheesecake Factory. But we really like to try different things. That's our thing now. We want to try something different every time, something like that. And we really try, even though, like, Cheesecake Factory, for example, is phenomenal. But... You know, we would like to try something with a little more, you know, uniqueness to it. So he says, well, should we venture out? Like, like, let's try. So what do you want? Of course, she doesn't know what she wants. But I said, well, how about Italian? Find this really neat Italian place. Iconic. It's been around, I don't know, 100 years, whatever it is. And, and now here's the weird thing, though. I'm sitting here talking to my buddy, Ed. We kind of, you know, he's like one of my partners and. You know, we go to lunch two or three days a week. We live right here. You know, the office is right here in the tech center. We've kind of run out of, I think we've run out of places. You know, we've kind of got a rotation now. You know, we've kind of hit all the spots we kind of like to hit. 
So I'm trying to find, you know, different places to go for the anniversary, change it up. I've got, you know, I've now Googled things. So we're going to get out of the suburbs. We're going to make a drive. I tell them about this place that we're going to go to, not downtown, but more in the um, North Denver, so to speak. They got to be careful. You can't say Highlands. You got to say North Denver. People lose their mind, even though I think this particular restaurant was not actually in the Highlands anyway. It was more in that North Denver area. But anyway, we're, we're going to make a field trip. My wife and I, we're getting brave. We're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to get out of the suburbs, and we're going to go to this this uh, nice uh, Italian restaurant, which, you know, was nice. It was kind of mixed results there. But uh, so we go to this place, have a nice time with my wife. Had to wait almost like an hour to get our table, which is fine. We walked around, went to a park, all that stuff, spent some time together on our anniversary like we're supposed to do. And then the food was a little, it was a little disappointing. But I had been talking to my partner as we'd gone out to lunch that day. He says, oh, where are you guys going? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that place is iconic, blah, blah, blah. And he never said another thing. This is what is with this guy. He's been, you know, he's quite a bit older than me. He knows every fantastic place to eat in the city. But then he forgets to tell you about it. So... I go the next day. It was yesterday. I'm like, yeah, you know, the place was nice, but it was a little hit or miss, a little disappointing, this, that, and the other. And he's like, oh, well, you should have gone to this place right by the office. It's fantastic. It's the best Italian food in the, in, you know, maybe in the state. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that? Before we would go downtown, not downtown, go to North Denver. We're running around. We have to, like, walk around these streets because this place has no place to sit for, because the guy said, you know, has this ever happened to you? I'm like, all right, so they said, do you have a reservation? I said, well, I didn't know I needed one. How long is it going to be? Could have sworn he said 15 minutes. I pair it back to him. 15 minutes? Yeah, 15 minutes. We walk around, blah, blah, blah. We come back. They said, well, you're 20 minutes into your 50-minute waiting period. 50? So he said 15. So we end up waiting an hour for the table. That's fine. You know, but it's, it's not exactly, you know... You walked around this neighborhood, and I wasn't sure exactly where this place was because some of those little quaint neighborhoods, they have all sorts of things. You can walk around. You can look at things. It's a nice experience. This particular place was not in one of those type environments. So um, <laughs> I like this one. Dad says, uh, or not dad, uh, this this text says, Dan, it's not 1995 Cheesecake Factory. Your your taste fluctuates between suspect and scary. I'm sorry, dude. I ain't going to apologize. Cheesecake Factory fan. You know what? You remember, Dante, remember the guy, uh, Chris Farley, the comedian? I know who he is. Yeah. Never saw him live, but I know who he is. You never saw Tommy Boy in some of the movies? He's no, no, I, I, no, I've seen that, but I'm saying like I wasn't around when he was around. Cheesecake Factory is so fantastic. He bought an apartment on top of the Cheesecake Factory so he could eat there all the time. Now, obviously, he had issues. We know about that. But, I mean, that's how fantastic the Cheesecake Factory is. But no, we wanted to. I text her. I'm admitting we wanted to get out of our comfort zone, Dante. And I got to tell you, we were not richly rewarded. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's some. I feel like there's some good spots you could have hit that you just maybe didn't go to. Well, see, I that was the problem. Um, we thought this was the best place to go. Was this recommended to you? No, but I, I I don't want to use the name because that's you know it's dicey on radio. But um, it, most people, if I would say this to, to you, they go, "Oh yeah, that's definitely a place to go." And it looked the food looked phenomenal. Um, the, so the entree I got, it was phenomenal. Of course, I know I know my way around a menu, so to speak. Uh, what my wife got was not very good. The appetizer was not very good. It wasn't bad. 
right? I don't want to be complaining, but it wasn't bad. Uh, she couldn't finish hers. It was too spicy. Mine was phenomenal. It was just, it was a little disappointing for, for all the hype, the, the, you know, the hour, you know, long wait, all that stuff. Between me and you? It yeah. seems like it was your wife's fault. Whoa, why is that? Well, I mean, if you ordered something good and she didn't, um, you know, I don't know if you can blame the restaurant on that one. Maybe she just didn't know what she was ordering. And then she ordered the lasagna. Time. She ordered lasagna. Well, lasagna at Italian place. She says this is her uh, thing. I don't know. I'm not a big lasagna at Italian restaurant. I love lasagna. I love lasagna, but I'll just do like, you know, the Stouffer's freezer version. I'm not going out to buy lasagna. But the wait time also was on you, not the restaurant. Correct. No, that's um, what I said. It was not a, the miscommunication. Maybe I put on him, but um, that's fair. But no, that that wasn't the big thing. It was I expected something out of this world. If you know the wait's going to be that long, the you know the pomp and circumstance, all that stuff. I mean, it was a real deal, old school Italian restaurant. I just thought the quality of the food would be a little better. I guess. Well, it sounds like your meal was really good, though. Was there um, bread with olive oil and uh, ahead of the meal? Well, there would have been, but we ordered the cheesy garlic bread, which was, it was fairly bland. Like, it looked good. The presentation was great, and you got it, and you were just like, eh. I don't know. This is I, this was disappointing. Interesting. See, that's also, I don't know, maybe I just order different things when I go to Italian restaurants, but, like, cheesy bread is more of, like, a Little Caesars kind of deal. <laughs> and then, again, I get my lasagna, the frozen kind. I don't. Well, you have or you, homemade. I don't. I don't order it at restaurants. My wife says I judge a good Italian restaurant by the quality of their lasagna, and like this lasagna, one the sauce it was too, the sausage that was in it was too hot to eat, and then two that I didn't like. I didn't like the consistency. Um, it almost felt like turkey meat, you know, like ground turkey. I didn't like the consistency of it. Um, but you know, I got like a creamy gor- gorgonzola pasta, which is phenomenal. That does sound nice. I also do love spicy sausage, so maybe I can't really. Yeah, speak it was to the spiciness of. Yeah, it. it was just too hot, which was weird because I asked the lady because um, I got an extra link on the side, which I also couldn't eat because it was too hot. I said, "Is is your is your sausage pretty spicy?" No, I don't think it's spicy at all. And then uh, she came back. I'm like, "It's really, really spicy." <laughs> She's like, "Oh well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm." Um, uh, see, see, now this is interesting. You think I'm I'm off base here? Now I'm not going to read the name, but somebody on the text line accurately predicted the restaurant and said, "Ha! Great atmosphere, food not so much. The fu- the food used to be better with the old owners." So, I think that's probably what happened. Like it used to be fantastic, now it's fallen off a little bit, and it's living off its reputation a little bit. That happens. Are you a uh, are you a Yelper? Did you give them a bad review afterwards? No, no, no. I wasn't going to do any of that. You know, not not going to matters with them. I mean, th- you could give them a thousand bad reviews, and they're going to be doing just fine because they're living off that reputation. But my my beef was a little bit with my buddy who who should have known better, and then was like, "Oh yeah, you should have gone here. It's a place five minutes from the office. You know, it's the best in town." Like you could have helped me out then. I would have had to get one go down to North Denver and all that stuff. Yep. See. See, people are reigning in um, with uh, knowing the exact place I'm talking about. It's kind of funny. So anyway, and then Brian says, Dan, you should have gone to Elways. Never been to Elways, actually. I don't think. 
Maybe the airport one time. I think maybe we went to the airport Elway's one time. That's is it Elway's the one up the street from here uh, under the hotel? There's a couple. Is that no, El- no, Elway's. You're talking about Shanahan's. Elway's is, yeah, Elway's is. Shanahan's is delightful. I went once. It was incredible. I have also never been there. Uh, wait, Schlereth take you? Wait, how'd you get to Elway's? Exactly. <laughs> yes, Schlereth took me. Come on, Mark. <laughs> That's funny that you called that. But yes, yeah. he took me one time. It was incredible. Yeah, I have not been to Shanahan's uh, nor Elway's. I'm. Like I said, I can't. I want to say we may have been to um, to Elway's uh, just in the airport, but it doesn't really count. So, um, anyway, I was proud of us for getting out. Step outside the comfort zone, even if we weren't richly rewarded for it. We will do it again. Uh, by the way, people are saying, Dan, um, Cheesecake Factory can't have 68 things on the menu and be good. I actually have found the opposite to be true with Cheesecake Factory. It's one of the few places, because in general, that is a rule. Like, you do too much and you, you get in trouble. I've never had a bad thing at the Cheesecake Factory. And almost every time I get something at the Cheesecake Factory, it's almost like, that's the best this I've ever had. What's your experience, Dante, with the old Cheesecake Factory? Um, I actually have not been in a while. I went some point in college. That was probably the last oh, wow. time I've been. Um, yeah, my family didn't frequent the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Now, actually, the thing that I don't necessarily prefer at the Cheesecake Factory, the cheesecake. It's gotten so... Crazy over the top, where it's just candy and all sorts of junk all over it. Uh, that you get, you get, you get suckered in. Like, oh, that looks good, and then you you, you get suckered in, and it's just it's this like overly sweet monstrosity, and you're like, I should have just got regular cheesecake. Um, so there you go. Denver food is generally average at best. New York City, Chicago, Miami, San Fran, New Orleans, Dwarf, Denver. We've had this conversation before. Somebody said should have just went to Johnny Carino's. Yeah. Yeah, you know, hey, it was a learning experience. The great, well, so we went to, uh, maybe we have a new standard. We went to, when we were going to Florida, um, I think it was last December, and we had a layover in Baltimore. It was like five hours. So we said, you know what, we're going to try, again, we're trying something different. We took a little Uber over to uh, Little Italy and just had lunch at this place. And it was just amazing. The appetizers, everything. It was an Italian restaurant, obviously. Fantastic. So that's kind of what we were expecting at this place. And so, you know, I mean, it was, um, although we did take, you know, we had two desserts. We had no beverage, you know, no no cocktails or anything. $103. So a little bit, so we didn't necessarily think for the price, we didn't think the quality was necessarily there. This place we went to on Thursday. But we had a good time. It was a good night. We were very grateful to be able to get get away a little bit. And the weather had subsided enough that we weren't, you know, rained out, so to speak. So um, there you go. By the way, there's sub- we're going to get to uh, Matt Smith coming up here in a second. I'm going to bring this up to him. I, I told Matt yesterday, this submarine thing, I don't know why, it's just fascinating to me. And I almost started talking about it because it happened. The news was starting to trickle out. I was hosting on Monday from 2 to 6 for Juneteenth this past week, this week. And the news had just come out, but I didn't feel comfortable bringing it up because the news articles didn't even really have an accurate reflection. And I, I could, sometimes you read the news article and you're like, they don't even know what they're talking about. Like, they just rushed this out. And so I'm like, I'm not going to read information because I know it's going to be wrong. Um, but I'm like, is this real? Is this is this true? Um, and then, of course, 
as the week went on, the story became more and more fascinating. But I told Matt Smith, I said, that could be 60% of our show today. I don't know. This thing is fascinating to me. Um, so I heard uh, Matt talking about this with Derek Wolf yesterday, some other things with Matt, and, of course, we'll get into the Nuggets draft, uh, what's going on with the Broncos, all sorts of good stuff uh, coming up here on the Dan Jacobs Show on this Saturday. We're also going to revisit that conversation. Nick Wright, Denver's public enemy number one. We have James Merrillat, who's Denver's favorite son. He's taking the week off this week. Um, but then we have Nick Wright, who's Denver's public enemy number one. So we're going to revisit that, that conversation. He was on the morning show this week. We'll revisit that conversation next hour. But coming up next, Matt Smith. Coming up. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Do you remember when it was tomorrow? Love was changing. We go out to the Ramos. Well, no, what is the, uh, it's, the, is it the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline? I don't remember. Matt, what is it? Go out to the hotline, Matt. You, you're over here hosting all the time. Big shot. Hosting the drive yesterday. How are you? I'm good, Dan. How you doing this morning, bud? It is the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Well, there you that go. Is where, that is where I'm joining you today. Well, fantastic. Thank you for being here. Of uh, course. Of course. Now, you have some Italian heritage, do you not? No. No? You act like, a, like an Italian. I thought you said you did. <laughs> no. No, Dan. No. I, no Italian heritage for me. I feel like one of those uh, interviews on Johnny Carson or Dave, uh, David Letterman that just start off not going well. It's like, it's, no, 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 I love it. You're doing great. Keep going. Yes, exactly. Well, because we had <laughs> talked about the, uh, the because you're from Chicago. Yes, sir. And we had talked about the Chicago pizza, and you were basically agreeing with James Merrillat, which you agreed with him on something else, but you got a hall pass for, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, okay. Because I was looking to the drive yesterday, but... Um, Dante brings up a quite controversial food take in that uh, no, the only proper lasagna is the frozen, like, uh, Stouffer's kind. You don't get Italian, you don't go to an Italian restaurant and order lasagna. I can't imagine this is a topic that you want to remain silent on, Mr. Smith. Yeah, you know, I think he's on something there. I mean, if you're, go- if you're going to get Italian food, where does lasagna fall in the rankings? Like, I feel like lasagna is more of a home-cooked meal thing. That's not something that you are, you're going out. So, so I'll push back on him in the fact that I think there are other lasagnas outside of just frozen lasagna, <laughs> right. but I will agree with him in that I don't think it's something that I would ever order at a restaurant. Yeah. Um, no, well, the one in Roma's, uh, there's a restaurant in um, Greeley where my you know, beautiful firstborn daughter is going to school right now. Oh, it's the best thing on the menu by far, and it's a great place. It's a great authentic okay. Italian place. Right, look, I mean, you are a food connoisseur. I'll take your word for it. I just, I just think that, like, if, if we're talking about something that I would want to order off a restaurant menu, I don't think it would be lasagna. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a uh, you know, if you're you know living living in living in fear, I guess you, you too. I guess I guess so, Dan. I guess <laughs> so. Or I'm just you know, a little gnocchi sounds great to me. You know, I mean, you can't go wrong with the wood fired pizza. Maybe some angel hair, some meatballs. I mean, it's Italian food. You can never really go wrong with Italian food. It's all fantastic. I was the, the whole reason we're talking about it was my wife and I instead of say, you know, we had our twenty second wedding anniversary on the twenty second. And we said, you know, we're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to get out of the suburbs. We went to, you know, for some authentic North Denver Italian food. So we were very proud North of ourselves. Denver. Hold on. Didn't you just say this place is in Greeley? 
No, no, the other place that has oh, a really oh, good oh, lasagna. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, now I see. Now I see. Yeah, okay, the place. Uh-huh. Yeah, the place we went to in North Denver. Unfortunately, we we thought the food was a little bit hit or miss. I had something fantastic. Her lasagna was left a you know a little something to be desired. It was a little hit or miss, but we were proud of ourselves for getting out of the suburbs. Yeah, I mean that's Colorado food in general for you. So I don't know what to tell you. Oh yeah, big Chicago snob coming in. Fancy. Yep, yep. This that is the one snobbish thing that I will really flex a muscle on is that the food is just. I mean, you can't even compare it. But it's all right. I still love you, Colorado. Yeah, I wouldn't leave you for anything in the world. So I was listening to you yesterday. You're doing a great job. And I thought it was funny, though, um, because, I don't know, what was it, three, four months ago, I was listening to you and Kyle Reese. You do a great job, 8 to 10 Sunday mornings here on the station. And you guys were talking about Bentleys and Mercedes. These, there are certain cars you have that, you know, if you're going to drive them, you're going to be paying for maintenance and you got to have yeah. a good mechanic and all this stuff. And, by the way, I, I had no idea Bentleys were like that. I knew certain cars were. Yeah. But you're one of those ballers. Rolls-Royce, Dan. Will you get it right? Yes. Well, do Rolls-Royces are like that as well? They fall apart? I imagine that all cars that cost a a lot of money are not cheap to fix. So as it turns out, as the story goes, you are one of these, you know, highfalutin baller guys that drives one of these luxury vehicles. And you're on the show yesterday (laughs) griping the exact opposite of what you're talking about a month or three months ago about how you don't have a good mechanic. You got jobbed over by your mechanic. I I guess they're just resetting every time you're going in there. They were just like... Oh yeah, just flip the button, the 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 button under the yeah. dash, reset his uh, oh. engine light for him. Oh, I, I just why wouldn't you tell me that before I brought the car in? I, I needed, I knew I needed an oil change, but I also had a check engine light, and I said, all right, so you get both of those. And who who doesn't tell you that they don't have the schematics to to, to uh, uh, check and assess a check engine light? Like, well, I mean, come on, it's like the that's like mechanic one hundred and one. I have never been to mechanic school, but I got to figure they, they teach you a check engine light on day one. Plug it in, it throws codes, and you go from there. But that you have to like have the right machine because you have one of those big fancy Bentleys or whatever you were driving. And they don't have the Bentley the computer at the you know Jiffy Loop because you're cheap and you took to the Jiffy Loop. No, no, that wasn't, that, that's not it. No, no. Yeah, they didn't have the right machinery at the Jiffy Loop or whatever. <laughs> it wasn't the Jiffy Loop. It was actually the Quickie Loop. Yeah, there you go. See, you're, you, what you were trying to do was avoid going to the dealership because you wanted to do it on the cheap, and now you're complaining that you weren't going on the cheap. You know what? I was absolutely trying to avoid going and getting gouged at the dealership. I was 100% trying to avoid that. Yeah. No, I know. I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to pull there, old Mr. Smith. <laughs> you mean just, you know, being a smart consumer? Yeah, it worked out. I can tell. It worked out. <laughs> I mean, like, how much damage has been done to this vehicle? Because oh, they've just been flipping codes on you. They're just hitting the reset button. It's like the old Nintendo. Beep, just hit, oh, it's glitching up. Just hit. Re- just hold the Thanks button for, in. Thanks for rubbing it in on a Saturday morning. Yes. Guys. Now, one thing um, that we've all been kind of captivated by that you guys were talking about, and I know they were talking about it in the morning show with Chad and Mark yesterday as well, like, how on earth? And I don't want to make light of it. I am not making light of it. I am legitimately fascinated by it. But yeah. this, this rinky-dink um, do-it-yourself kit to take a sub- down below, which apparently imploded into itself, uh, which was, you know, good a good and a bad thing, I guess. Apparently, um, for the people in that sub, um, your 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 thoughts on I, were you as fascinated with this thing as I was, like with the controller and all that stuff? I heard you guys talking about it yesterday. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's certainly a fascinating story. I've always been intrigued by the ocean, but I've always long believed that we really don't know much about the ocean. I mean, we could say we know things about the ocean, but we don't know much about the ocean. And I just, yeah, I I was more fascinated in the fact that somebody could understand the dangers of what deep sea travel entails and then bypass every safety regulation in the book. And then when, you know, your head engineer or your head of safety or whoever it was comes out and says, hey, this isn't safe, you fire him. And then, you know, it, watching some of these interviews back of the uh, of the captain who, who passed away, you know, and just the cavalier nature with which he kind of spoke about some of this stuff. But, you know, I mean, you don't play with the ocean, Dan, and there's just some simple science behind it. And, you know, it's a horrible tragedy that probably never had to happen. And the fact that this company, did you see that there, there's a, all, they've already posted a job opening for a new submarine captain? Oh, my God. I swear. Wow. I swear, I can't believe that they're allowed to operate. I, I can't imagine that that will continue. They're going to go after them, I would think. And so we'll see what happens. You know what it reminds me of? The AI. You got to say it like that, too. You have to say the AI of the artificial intelligence. The guy that created it for Google has now quit and said, this is too dangerous. We yeah. shouldn't be doing this. It's going to be like Skynet. The Terminator is going to be running around, and I'm going to be saying I told you so as I jump in a bunker uh, five years from now. I don't know, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I am a big movie fan. I'm a cinephile. I've yes. seen iRobot with Will Smith. I understand the dangers. Do I think that we need artificial intelligence for everything? Not particularly. But if it were wielded by people who used it responsibly, it might be very, very interesting to see what would come from it. But we just know there's not too many responsible people left out there. Well, but the point is what they're saying is even though they're trying to do it responsibly, it's literally following the script from the Skynet, the Terminator movie. It's smarter than itself. It's going into areas that the responsible, well-meaning engineers had never intended it to do. Of course. And eventually you're going to plug in your iPhone and, you know, it's going to turn into a Transformer Autobot and going to take over everything. Wait till these sex robots get a hold of it. Then it's going to be a whole different story, Dan. Well, I know you're looking forward to that, so let's not. Let's take it easy. Let's take it easy. Now, one thing um, I was alluding to earlier about this. Uh, so James Merrillat goes out and, you know, his record of criticizing the Nuggets and Coach Malone was fairly consistent. I'm not going to go rehash all that because everybody knows. Yeah. The of- you do that every time James comes on. <laughs> that's, so that's right. Uh, but he, the amount of grief he has taken has been well documented. Uh, and one of those, you know, quote, receipts it gets posted every time he opens, you know, says something now is they they post the tweet where he's like, enjoy your second round exit, right? Right, yeah. Well, lo and behold, I'm driving down the road yesterday because he mm-hmm. takes all the grief from that. And I'm listening to you. You're, you're saying hi to Colin Zanker behind the glass. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I end up having to pay him $50. Why? Because as a studied and learned analyst, as you are employed on this station, you predicted the doom in the second round of the Denver Nuggets. You also had no faith in them. You also were rooting against them. You were also betting financially against them. Um, The same as James Merillat. And yet he gets all sorts of hate and you get by, you skate by in a pass, Mr. Smith. Well, Well, the difference is, is I own when I'm wrong and I was absolutely wrong. If you don't, everybody, no one's perfect. You can be wrong sometimes. And look, based upon this team's history of inconsistency and their injury history, I didn't think they'd have enough. But lo and behold, they proved, Dan, that they are among the NBA's best. They are at the mountaintop. 
And look, I was thrilled to be wrong, and and I was wrong. There's no doubt about it. But it was it was also something we hadn't seen before. It was Jamal Murray playing consistently on a night to night basis at such well, a high I, level I, in the playoffs, I don't know about that, and not having a drop off. It was Nikola Jokic being the best player in the world, and I think. What's, what's funny about Nikola is he had this amazing season. But really, around January 1st, it started to take on a different life. And then the MVP discourse came on, and I felt like he kind of, I don't know, he kind of went back into his shell a little bit. He didn't like all the negative attention, and I think it rattled his cage a little. But what we saw out of him in the playoffs was just absolutely historic. So when you can get those two type of performances from your best two players, you can win a championship. And when you look at statistically, Murray and Jokic are, for their careers, the largest playoff risers in NBA history. The two of them have the biggest point differential between uh, career averages, regular season, and playoffs. So if you play at that type of a level in the playoffs, then, yeah, you can win a title. But the difference is is they don't make it far enough, typically, and when they have in the past, they've been injured. So the guys we see in the regular season are not actually the guys that we saw in the playoffs. And those guys we saw in the playoffs, they're damn good. Yeah, here's this would be a good question for you. First off, just to finish that off, I just wonder if you have received an appropriate level of grief for your level of being wrong on the same issue as James has. Do you think you have, or do you think you've just kind of, you know, you know, I, but I, I'm more fair. I'm more fair, you know, so I think that I think there's a little bit of a difference there. But, I, yeah, I, I would say that I, I received enough grief for it, for sure. Okay. I I, yeah. I don't know that. And look, I paid up for grief. it. I paid up for it. Yeah. Okay. I did hear an interesting thing. I don't think now my, well, let me, let me save my opinion because I don't want to color your answer. Not that you would care what I say anyway, Matt, but. Um, I always value your opinion. But let me get your opinion without me leading you down any sort of road. Um, Avalanche won a championship. Nazem Kadri yeah. was a huge part of that. Nuggets win a champ, and he, he, they had a decision to make on him. They made the decision that they made. Bruce Brown, huge part of the championship. They now have a decision to make on him. They were making comparisons on some of the, uh, at least one of the programs on the station throughout the week. I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to get your thoughts on the comparison between Nazem Kadri leaving the Avalanche and potentially Bruce Brown. Um, Are there any parallels there and how strong are they? Yeah, I understand the comparison. Orlando threw it out, I think, a couple weeks when I was hosting with him. I disagreed with it at the time. I think Bruce Brown is more of a JT Comfort than he is a Nazem Kadri. and there's a difference here in that the Avalanche, uh, excuse me, the Nuggets are are limited in what they can offer Bruce Brown. The Avalanche could have offered Nazem Kadri that contract if if they wanted to. They just didn't want to. Now, I think there is a parallel in the fact that with both Kadri and Bruce Brown, them leaving for the opportunity at generational wealth is one you can't really pass up because there's a big difference between a one-year $6 million contract and a four-year you know, $50 million contract or whatever Bruce Brown's about to sign. It, that, that's a significant difference. We're talking about security and stability. And, and for those guys, you know, they already got their rings. And, and while I think that from an organizational standpoint, you want to do what you, you, know, what, what you, what you can do in your power to be able to keep – key pieces of a championship championship team together 
But both of those organizations are straddled by the regulations in place by the respective CBAs and salary caps in their sports. For the Avalanche, they have a hard cap, and they cannot spend a single penny above it. They also have a lot of high-priced young stars that needed extensions. They doled a lot of them out, but even Rantanen in two years is up for his next one. So you've got to be able to save money because those numbers will keep getting bigger. But for the Nuggets, you're dealing with a situation where Bruce Brown was your sixth man. You can have the appropriate value allocated there, which I felt like they did last year, about 6.8 for a backup point guard. But Bruce Brown was playing out of position, and they actually got more out of him than I think they ever anticipated. And certainly, while that's a good thing, I question whether or not the Nuggets' formula for success this year is sustainable. The, and when I say that, I mean Jokic and Murray played well over 40 minutes, you know, many, many different times in the playoffs. And the Nuggets were down to an eight-man rotation by the time they hit the postseason, which a, a lot of times was down to seven men. And I'm not sure that that is necessarily replicable moving forward as these guys continue to get older, considering their injury histories. However, with the landscape of the NBA and the new collective bargaining agreement, you have to be a lot smarter about how you build the back half of your roster. So if you're going to allocate that type of money to Bruce Brown, who's going to play at most 25 minutes in the playoffs, then I think it's questionable because you're already paying $100 million contracts to four guys in your starting lineup, including Michael Porter Jr., who really struggled in the finals outside of rebounding the basketball. And obviously we wanted to see the details from him, so that's a good sign. But he was a complete no-show offensively. And when you're paying that guy next year $33 million, it's tough to advocate to want to pay Bruce Brown a lot of money. And, Dan, they can't. They they can only pay him up to a specific amount for the NBA rules. So that, that that's my take on it. You know, I wish Bruce the best. I know he's a really good guy, and he was super valuable for them this year. But I do not think he is irreplaceable. Yeah, no, I don't think he's irreplaceable either. And I, I thought the comparison was, um, well, I just think Nazem Kadri, for example, is like, until he got hurt that se- uh, season, he was like, wasn't he like the leading scorer in the league? Yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah. Like I said, I think Bruce Brown is more of a JT Comper yeah. uh, uh, contemporary. So let's keep the comparison going, though. Now they each got their championship. They each have to make their adjustments. The Avs obviously had a rough run injury-wise, rough run injury-wise this year. But both of these teams are favored to win the championship and the respective leagues next season. If you were a betting man, and we know you are, Matt... Uh, who would your money be on uh, to either the Nuggets to repeat or the Avalanche to get their second ring or second cup in uh, three years? It would probably be the Nuggets. The Avs made a move today I'm really not all that thrilled about, especially with what some of the projections are. So I would definitely say the Nuggets only because I just think in basketball, look, it's not easy to run it back. I don't think either team's going to win this next year. But with with basketball, when you have the best player in the world, you always have a chance, especially because there's just, you know, it's just the, the dynamics of the way it works. And I think the way the rest of the West is kind of scrambling to, to retool is, is maybe a little panicked. And I think some of these teams are over leveraging. But the key is for Denver, they're going to have to stay healthy. I mean, Jokic, excuse me, uh, Murray and Porter, the fact that they made it through the playoffs healthy is a bit of a miracle in my opinion considering their history so Matt, let's see what they can do i swear to god i was on that two to six a.m shift with dmac and i brought this up and 
I couldn't even believe it. Schlereth was in on it. DMAC was in on it. Mike Evans are in on it. I, I brought this drunk. up. Yeah, they're all drunk. They're all drunk. I'm like, it's not going to be as easy. Like, you know, yeah. the injury histories and all that, like, you, you can't take this for granted. And to a man, all of them, they were making these excuses. I'm like, well, what about football's different, hockey's different, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I they were know. like, no, just take, just, just, do we even have to play the season next season? Just give him another ring. Just give him another one. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we learned one thing from the Avalanche this last season, it's that nothing is guaranteed. And you can't you can't automatically think because I remember sitting at the War Room at Brothers Barbecue the the opening night of the Av season with Mike with Mike Evans and DMac and Stoke and Zach and the last question was can the Avs run it back and every one of us said barring injury yes but I also included the caveat that they were going to have to make significant additions at the trade deadline to get that done and we never got there and then when they didn't do that. It was around the trade deadline that I said, okay, I understand what's going on. And, you know, I'm on record many times saying I think they botched it. And, you know, especially with the Natrushkin situation and Landy never coming back, there was just, you know, no recourse. But it's not like Landis Scott's coming back this year. You know, who knows what type of state Natrushkin's in, first of all. And they, like I said, the Avs just made a move for Ryan Johansson out of, out of Nashville who a lot of people think is going to be their second-line center. And, Dan, Dan, if that is their plan, I am more disappointed than I thought I could be with, with Chris McFarland because he's, he's, he's not what they need. He's way past their prime. He's way past his prime. He's had one 20-goal season in the last eight years. He, he's, he's the type of player that you could sell me being their third-line center. But at, at second-line center – Danny's he, he he can't skate with this group. He's coming off a significant leg surgery, and he's over the age of thirty. I, I just, you know, they gave up nothing for him. So from that perspective, it's okay. But at the very same time, they're eating into their cap space that they could have used to actually make an impact move. So to make this trade before you address your biggest needs, it's just backwards in roster construction. And, and this is part of the reason why I've been raising a red flag and saying, guys, I am worried about what they're going to do. Based upon what we saw at the trade deadline where they tried to play money ball, here is yet another example of the Avalanche trying to play money ball. You cannot piecemeal together a legitimate contender with guys who are past their prime dealing with injury issues when you want to play at the Avalanche's tempo. It is just a fact. And, you know, I think they were already behind the eight ball with Landis Scott being out next year. So unless they were to make significant moves where they really landed a legit top six and second line center and another, most likely another top six player, because not only do you have to replace Kadri still, which they never did, you got to now fill Landy's shoes. You need two legit top six players, and they just went and got an, an, an aging you know, third-line center at best, who's had one 20-goal season in the last eight years. This guy's best, and look, I mean, he, he's good in the face-off circle, and so situationally I think they'll use him appropriately. But this isn't the type of player that puts you over the top. And so for me, I, I, today I find myself quite disappointed with, with the Avalanche. If they, speaking of disappointment, if they only get one ring, one cup, I'm sorry, I keep saying ring, one cup, one championship, out of the, quote, core that we've been talking about for, I don't know, how long are we talking about the core? Seven years? Yeah, um, a long time. How disappointing will that be for the organization? 
Mm, that's a great question. Because when you win a championship, it was all worth it no matter what. This is exactly what happened with the Cubs. The Cubs won in 2016 with a team full of young stars. And it just all fell apart because they didn't have their hands on the wheel. And so for me, as a Cubs fan, I'm okay with it because all I really ever wanted was a World Series. But is it disappointing that the entire you know, foundation of that team crumbled after that? Yeah. And for the Avalanche, you're talking about, hey, and the difference is, is baseball is different because, because unless you're, you know, Shohei Otani or Mike Trout, I would, I, I would venture to say that the player rankings as far as how good you are compared to the rest of the league vary more than any other sport. But for the NHL, it, it stays remotely the same. And to have McCarr and McKinnon and Nico and Devontaes and to be timid, like I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning at the trade deadline. They went out and added this kid, Tanner Janot, out of Nashville. They traded a first, second, third, fourth-round pick for him. Now, Janot was, was playing third-line minutes for the Predators, but Tampa, squarely in the middle of their championship window, aired out the tires and were as aggressive as they possibly could be to try and find somebody that was a good player who would fit the culture, and they wanted to give... Stamkos and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and Victor Hedman, the appropriate gesture and the appropriate help in saying, we appreciate the commitment that you guys have made to our organization and the contributions that you've had in three consecutive Stanley Cup appearances. And as a result, we're going to go get you help. The Avs didn't do that at the deadline. I thought it was extremely disrespectful to Nathan McKinnon. I thought it was, and Miko Rantanen, for how much, for how hard those guys played not to get them more help. I thought it was just a dereliction of duty. And then to double it up here with this Johansson move, I just, like I said, I find myself disappointed. This isn't, this isn't how you attack building a contender. It's trying to play money ball, and it's not going to get them anywhere, unfortunately. All right, Matt Smith, we appreciate you. We'll hear you tomorrow from 8 to 10 a.m., shall we not? I look forward to it, Dan. All right. Thanks, Matt. If you guys want to react to Matt, your chance coming up next. Judge, jury, executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. All right. Let's get to the text line. Little little disagreements on the, uh, the lasagna. Dante, see, you're, you're, you're controversial as always. Grant and Fort Collins writes in, Dan, I disagree with the lasagna take. Stouffer's just plain nasty. Although, don't order a lasagna at an Italian restaurant. Too many variations and mom's slash wife's is, quote, always the best. Grant and Fort Collins. Man, there's some really good, great restaurant lasagna out there. That I place. Also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I also did say homemade lasagna is very good. So. Yes, yes. Well, you, you 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 did say that, but you also seem to be leaning into the, the crappy, you know, frozen kind. Well, I only eat the frozen kind, uh, but my roommate, he's Italian, and his mom made us uh, some lasagna a couple, like, couple weeks ago, and that was delicious. Homemade lasagna is fantastic. We get it. You know, what we do is there's a place called, uh, it's been open, they have the best calzones. I've been having calzones there since I was eight years old. So a long time. But Mama Alvino's does a take-and-bake lasagna, uh, which we just did that for Father's Day last weekend. 
Somebody else saying Grammys goodies. Uh, see, that's not my na- area. I've been there one time. It looks phenomenal. I, I've actually followed them on Facebook just because I like looking at their food, that, that Grammys goodies. Their lasagna looks amazing. Like, if you go there, you have to eat that. Plus, it's as big as your face. But, yeah, that, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. That place up, I think it's called Roma's up in Greeley with the, I think they have cream cheese in their lasagna. I love cream cheese and stuff. It is fantastic. Like this person saying, uh, lasagna isn't as cool as pizza or fettuccine, question mark? Like, I think, you know, there, there, there's some, um, there's some, you know, there's some complexity to lasagna, at least. You know, at least that you, they've try, you're trying. Like, like, you know, spaghetti and noodles and, you know, fettuccine, you're not even really trying. You're boiling some pasta and you're throwing some sauce on. You know what I mean? I don't know if you're trying very hard. You know, was, you know what was amazing? So my daughter just finished up. She was taking a culinary class uh, this all this summer. So every morning she's getting up, I'm dropping her off, and she's cooking something every day. She brought home some croissants. Croissant. Holy smokes. Now I know why they love these things in France. Not like the junky, crappy stuff you get from the store here or in a restaurant here. Or if, you know, you make them. Remember, you, you could do the Pillsbury ones. You roll up, which are fine. No, no, no. These things were amazing. I'm like, no wonder they love these things in France. Now that I know you have the ability to do these, honey, we're going to be expecting these once a month. And she's like, dude, those things took three days to make. And my wife was like, yeah, croissants, good croissants, they're a pain, man. You have to literally make them do a thing, do butter, do another layer, do more butter, like every little thing. I'm like, I don't care. I'm all for it. You guys know how to do it. You, you got to keep making it. Um Somebody here says, I make the best lasagna in Denver. It's not even close. Hashtag, not, is that a hashtag necessary, Texter? Uh, somebody says, ah, Roma's is amazing. I'm a coach at Cherokee Trail High School for basketball. So you, we must be neighbors then. Um, and the UNC team camp comes around, and I can't wait for calzones and bazookas brews. Yeah, it's, uh, it's phenomenal, man. Somebody says, Pasta Jays. Um. Perhaps we've already, let's see this real quick. Perhaps we've already argued this point, but I think we look back at this abs window. We will point to the Landeskog injury as a thing that derailed their chances for multiple cups. He's proving to be irreplaceable. While I look at it, I, I think, one, there's two things. One, I think letting Nazem Kadri go was probably the catalyst because I think even without Landeskog, you know, you, you he would have given you a shot. Um, and two, I'm still not convinced on the goaltending. Um you, you have absolutely nothing so far. Now, he, you know, Gorgiev can grow. As of right now, you have absolutely nothing special there. Everybody just wants to give him a pass. Um, he's a solid but not championship-level goaltender at this point. So, uh, Last one for you. It says, hi, Dan. I asked you last week about pellet smokers. I did the research. Um, the Yoder, you, like you said, they are high dollar. I took a look at the Louisiana Founders Legacy 1200 smoker. Do you have any knowledge about that model? Thanks, Ken in Nevada. By the way, my buddy... I just got a Yoder. Man, that thing is a tank. Um, the Louisiana Founders, I don't know anything about it. The only time I've looked at Louisiana Grills, they seemed very uh, very light. They don't see. When I'm looking at a pellet grill, I want a nice, heavy-duty, um, solid pellet grill. A lot of them are very cheap, um, and so I'm just not so sure about that. Um so there you go. Um, coming up next, I wanted to revisit with you for those guys. I actually did hear it live. Most of you did not. Public enemy number one, Nick Wright. Uh, Got to give him credit. You know, 
came on, you know, granted, Mark Schlarth is his buddy, so he knew it would be, you know, fairly friendly fire. But um, Nick Wright came on the station earlier this week. We'll, we'll take a stroll down memory lane and revisit that uh, interview coming up next.